Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing X from 2022, directed and written by Ty West, starring Mia Goth, Jenna Ortega, Brittany Snow, Martin Henderson, and Scott Mescody. In this film, it is the year 1979, and a group of free-loving Texans rent a farmhouse to shoot a porno, but things go south when the owners of the farm find out what they're up to. If you're new to the show, we're going to talk some spoiler-free background info on this movie for the first 15 or 20 minutes or so, but once you hear our little break and musical interlude, that means we're headed into spoiler territory, and at that point, you'll want to duck out of the show and go watch this in the theater so you don't get anything spoiled. Ashvin, how were you feeling going into this movie? Were you hyped up, or were you trying to contain your hype based on how we've experienced films that we were excited about over the past few months here <laughs> yeah yeah i know uh no i've, I've been uh, really excited about this one uh, I, it wasn't on my radar at all but after seeing scream back in january uh, i saw the trailer for this and it's like a director i love the cast looked awesome the the story looked really interesting so uh yeah i was i was pretty hyped up how about you i was trying real hard to contain my excitement and and come in with medium expectations and i think i succeeded in doing so oh nice <laughs> did you not like read reviews or see trailers ahead of time i didn't know oh okay cool i never watch a horror trailer and boy i watched the horror the trailer to this after seeing the movie and i'm so glad i didn't watch it really you, yeah man I, so much of the plot and the scares and the kills like you know what's gonna happen Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it kind of spells the whole thing out for you. It really does. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, part of the viewing experience, you don't think like that's like an incomplete viewing experience if you go into a movie blind. Like you don't think it's it's meant like from a purist methodology, like you're supposed to see the trailer, get excited, then go and see the movie. I think people might think you're insane for saying that. What? Really? That's like the, that's <laughs> been the formula a, for years. A purist would think, I want you to see my film and come in with no expectations. Like, from a director's standpoint, they're probably not like, oh, I want there to be an awesome trailer that I have uh-huh. zero control of that gives away my entire movie so people are excited to see it. <laughs> you don't think directors have control over the trailer? No, I don't think they do. Oh, man. So you, you think, like, if you sat down with the director, they would rather you just come and see it versus seeing any previews for the film? I think so. Oh, that's so surprising. I assumed, like, in the back of every filmmaker's mind is the idea that I want to whet people's appetite, so I want them to see this trailer, get them excited, then bring them in, and then, you know, like, deliver the re- It's like you go to a restaurant, you know, the, the appetizers and then the, the main meal. Yeah, but that would be like giving people, like, tastes of their meal and then being like, okay, you got to wait a few months, and now you'll, then you'll finish it. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. the same as an appetizer. <laughs> so yeah, Ty West, I think we are both fans of his work. It's a unique excitement for this one because it wasn't like it's part of a big franchise or anything or a director who's just recently come off of a big work. He hasn't directed a feature-length horror film in nine years. And he's got ones that are big for horror fans called The House of the Devil in 2009. It's probably his most popular and renowned and respected one. The Innkeepers from 2011 is a lot of fun. He did a VHS segment called Second Honeymoon. That VHS was from 2012. And The Sacrament, a found footage movie in 2013. I liked all of those. Probably House of the Devil the most, then The Innkeepers, then The Sacrament. Yeah, I, th- I think I feel the same. I Actually, I don't remember if I've seen The Innkeepers. Do you know if, if we saw that together? 
Um, I want to say we did. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to blank on remembering what that one was exactly. Yeah, but... it was two innkeepers. <laughs> oh, it was okay. like two young people in this small hotel and creepy stuff was happening. Mm, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, but House of the Devil is like, yeah, definitely one of the top horror films for me. Uh, yeah. We talked about that one, what, like last year or something? I think it was about a year ago we released an episode on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those are some big hits. Um, I I really want to see his first film. Uh, was it like The Roost? Yeah, I would be interested to see that too. Mm hmm. That'd be really interesting. And then, like, did, did you read? Uh, it sounds like he took this break from horror because he just like didn't want to repeat himself. Didn't have like any original ideas for a while. Okay, I didn't read that. That makes sense. You know, we're also leaving out. He he directed Cabin Fever too, and tried to remove his name from it and have it replaced with. Alan Smithy. You know, I, I saw that brought up in... Oh, that, that's the name that you mentioned, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can petition to the Directors Guild to have your film be directed by Alan Smithy, if you... <laughs> which is kind of just an empty name. I think it, it is it comes from somewhere, but mm. if you feel like you lost creative control of the movie and the movie is no longer your work, then you can petition the Directors Guild to have it say Alan Smithy in the credits. Ah, uh, Okay. Um, I meant to look it up because one of the interviews I was reading, someone was asking him, uh, like, they're pointing to the fact that he got fired from the set of uh, Cabin Fever 2, which that would kind of be a whole different story then, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like you can get fired for creative differences, so that was probably the case. Mm, Okay, yeah. Really curious what happened there. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, But he's done a lot of TV um, in the past nine years, like episodes here and there of of various stuff so and uh boy i don't know whether to mention this now or maybe i'll wait until after the spoilers to to mention an upcoming movie he's he's got oh yeah (laughs) good idea (laughs) um yeah as far as the actors go uh, mia goth was in she's been in some like horror films recently or horror-ish films a cure for wellness in 2016 High mm-hmm. Life, which is more just dark, not horror, from 2018, and the Suspiria remake in 2018. Yeah. I would like to see that. We should maybe cover that remake at some point. We should, yeah. I feel like everything I heard is like it's not as good as the original, but still seems like worth watching. Yeah, it sounds so different that, yeah, I'd like to check it out. Yep. And we recently saw Jenna Ortega, who plays Lorraine. Uh, she played the role of the younger sister, Tara Carpenter, in Scream 5. Right. And she's yeah. also set to play the role of Wednesday Adams in a new Adams Family TV series. Yeah, I feel like this is a big year for her with horror. I mean, we're here in uh, March. She's on Scream. She did this movie. She also did, I think, that movie uh, that the Foo Fighters put out, Studio 666. Oh, um, seriously? Yeah, yeah. Which I, Are you going to see that one? Uh, eventually. I don't think I'll bother with the theater, but I would like to see it. Yeah, I'm really curious what they put together. <laughs> yeah, and, me too. And uh, I think she was even in like one of the Insidious films, and she was in that Babysitter Part Two, uh, Killer Queen. So yeah, I feel like she's building up a, a whole repertoire of uh, horror films. Yeah, she seems to be a rising star. Yeah, exciting. And then there's Brittany Snow, who I recognized from an NBC series called American Dreams that ran from 2002 to 2005 that my family used to all watch together. <laughs> cool. It's like a comedy or something. It was like a family drama. Oh, for okay. the whole family to sit and watch. I think it took place in the 50s. Nice, nice. 
Yeah, she's been in a number of movies over the years, and she's going to be directing a film coming out on Netflix next year called September 17th. That's awesome. And then there's Scott Meskedy, who I did not realize until after I came home and started looking around on IMDb. That is Kid Cudi. Oh, yeah, right? I didn't realize that either while I was watching it. Uh, that That's wild, isn't it? Yeah, I guess I'm just not super familiar with his face. Right, yeah, me neither. And it's not like a name you're expecting to see pop up like after... 20, I don't know, when was the last time you heard a Kid Cudi album or reference? Right, I haven't listened to his music in, yeah, like 10 years. Yeah, yeah, right. He was he was really good when he came out. I, I thought he kind of, uh, he was like a really innovative uh, rap artist. Uh, I thought he did like an album with like Kanye West and stuff. He was, he was like a rising star as well. Yeah, I think Kanye signed him to his label. Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah, but he's been like slowly building up an acting portfolio over the past 10 years or so, and he uh, recently appeared in Don't Look Up. Yeah, that's awesome. Best Dude, yeah, picture I, nominee. I know. It, it's, seeing that, it makes me wonder like, how many films I've seen that, that he's been in. Because, uh, yeah, did, did you see Don't Look Up? I did, yeah. And I had, I think, I again, the same thing happened. I had no idea it was him and then found out on IMDb later. Yeah, cool. I'll still, I'll still look into that. Yeah. Um, speaking of well-reviewed films like Don't Look Up, this is very well-reviewed. X. X has a 96% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 77% user score. Mm-hmm. I don't know a budget number, but it made it's made $4.4 million at the domestic box office so far. We're recording this on the Thursday, one week after it was released, essentially. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, uh, when you went to see it, was the theater pretty packed? Um, it wasn't packed, but there was a decent amount of people in there. Yeah, same here. I was surprised. Like we went on like a Tuesday night and uh, you know maybe like fifty, sixty percent in capacity. So I think people are going out for this one. Yeah, nice. Um, the music was done by Tyler Bates and Chelsea Wolfe. Tyler Bates has scored the John Wick films, the Guardian of the Galaxy films, uh, many other big name films and TV shows. And Chelsea Wolfe is a solo musical artist. Uh, with a lot of albums to her name that you can go check out on Spotify. I started listening to her this week. I'm, I'm kind of yeah. digging it. Cool. Does it fit your whole like, sad girl music vibe? It, it's like sad girl mixed with metal. Oh, nice. So nice. I've been into her album His Spun, but then some of her other albums are a bit more like she's got a male vocalist on there doing the whole metal voice growl mm-hmm. thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I'm just not into. So. <laughs> that throws you off. Uh, is she is that the song that plays? Um, there's like an iconic scene, like in front of the um, pickup truck with the headlights, and one of the characters is like dancing in front of it, and uh, like there's like some slow piano, uh, like a ballad almost. Is that? Oh man, I don't remember what song is playing at that part. I know "Don't Fear the Reaper" plays. Somewhere yeah. around that scene, right? Yeah, that's also there around that scene. But then, like, it cuts out to like some piano and like soft uh, woman uh, or a soft voice kind of singing over a piano. But what's I, I didn't get to hear the track that uh, that you mentioned. Yeah, she has a track that's a single for this movie. It's called "Wee oui, Wee oui, Marie." Okay. It's like guitar and singing. It's it's really cool. It's a rendition of a song that's originally from 1918. Oh, cool! All right, I'll check that out. Yeah. Oh man, I dig it. I've been listening to it on repeat for days now. It's it's. Damn. It's kind of obsessive of me. That's cool. It's great to find a song like that. Yeah, yeah. I like to just roll with that until I, I'm done with it. You squeeze all the juice I can out of it. <laughs> nice. Uh, and we'll talk about that song later, too. I think it fits into some themes of the film. Yeah, sure. Um, 
Other notable crew, this is shot by Elliot Rickett, who also shot The House of the Devil and The Innkeepers, and we kind of fanboyed over some of his cinematography in our The House of the Devil episode. So oh, okay, I'm sure cool. we'll talk about that a bit in our review. Mm-hmm. This was an A24 movie, so been a while since we've seen one of those. This was not really the tone you've come to expect from an A24 movie, which is refreshing. I know. I was shocked. And I think it's the first time Ty West is working with A24, I want to say. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. Yeah. Um, anything. There's a lot of homages to other movies uh, within this film, but we'll probably talk about some of those as we after we walk through the plot because there's some spoiler stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, the, the one other thing, a uh, name I would want to bring up uh, is Sam Levinson. He was one of the executive producers. Um, he's the guy who I think created and produced and maybe directed the show Euphoria. You ever watch that one? Oh, really? No, I've heard all about it, but I've never actually seen it. Oh, yeah. It kind of fits uh, this film because it's all about like teenagers doing drugs uh, and, uh, g- yeah, having sex and stuff. So uh, I, c- I could definitely see like some influence there, some interest. From, gotcha. from someone like him. Yeah, so he's just a dude who likes teenagers <laughs> doing drugs. Yeah, that's pretty much how you describe the show Euphoria. <laughs> teenagers <laughs> having sex and doing drugs. Uh, cool. Any other uh, background info? Uh, no, that's all I got. Well, I, I guess uh, it was mostly shot in New Zealand, which was surprising. I thought it would have been yeah. shot in Texas. Yeah, it, did very, it looked very Texas-ish. Yeah. Good job, New Zealand. I know. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, I've got a couple announcements and then an Ohio connection. Okay? Cool. Uh, First announcement, we recorded a Patreon episode on a movie called Incident in a Ghostland. That's probably been out there for like a week or two, but if you don't keep up on the Patreon and you are a subscriber, that is out there for you to go listen to. Um, And I want to do a little bit of an apology. In our Raw episode, I was kind of stating some of the scenes that uh, Julia... Ducarnell did that I felt were shocking and I think I mentioned like the two women peeing while standing up in that same breath and I feel like that was a little bit sexist we see men peeing standing up with their butts exposed in movies all the time so I think I that was a little double standardy of me and I uh, just wanted to apologize for it okay uh, accepted <laughs> thanks I knew you were the one I, I knew you were losing sleep over it. I know thanks man. that means a lot <laughs> the load has been removed from your yeah. shoulders alright good <laughs> alright now that my little air is clear I've got our Ohio connection which as always comes from our friend Alex who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland Ohio if you're in Northeast Ohio, you've got to go to Jukebox, check out their beer and their food. And now that the weather's starting to get nice, hang out on their patio. Alex says, X is a slasher film written, directed, and edited by Ty West. It takes place at a secluded farmhouse in Texas where a film crew arrives to film an adult movie and their hosts, a reclusive elderly couple, take a special interest in their young guests before things turn violent. It stars, among others, Brittany Snow, Jenna Ortega, Martin Henderson, and Scott Meskady, a.k.a. hip-hop star Kid Cudi. Cudi has sold 22 million certified records in the U.S. and won two Grammy Awards from five nominations. His film TV credits include the short-lived HBO series How to Make It in America, Bill and Ted Face the Music, and the 2021 Oscar hopeful Don't Look Up. Before launching his music career, Scott briefly attended film school at the University of Toledo, located in Toledo, Ohio. 
Oh, so that makes sense with the acting career. He went to film school. Yeah, I, I thought he's originally from Ohio, isn't he? Yeah, Alex says, uh, P.S. He was born in Cleveland, but I've used that for a past connection. Oh, yes. We've we've mentioned Kid Cudi before? We've mentioned Kid Cudi before. He had a track that was featured prominently in something we watched. I can't remember what. Ah, uh, oh, okay, okay, cool. I'm like thinking freaky, but I don't think that was it. I don't know. Mm, okay, cool. Okay, cool. University of Toledo, nice. Yeah. Uh, okay, man, well, are you ready to uh, get into spoiler territory, walk through the plot, and review the film? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, man, before we do that, do you mind if I hang up and call you back in like 30 minutes? My wife has to record a presentation for work, and she wants me to use my podcasting knowledge to help her record the sound. <laughs> sure. All right, cool. Sounds I'll good. be right back. All right. All right, man, I'm back. Oh, how did it go? Uh, it went great from my perspective, but I think she might be a little upset. Uh, I got really excited listening to her go through her PowerPoint deck, and I asked if I could be in the presentation. <laughs> and she agreed to let me present the last two slides in her deck about maximizing revenue. But uh, afterwards, I could I could hear her crying in the shower. Oh, man, getting the cold shoulder now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she wasn't cool with it. Yeah, man, that's that's dangerous territory to come in on someone's art like that. <laughs> <laughs> take, I wanted my this. chance too. Yeah, yeah. Who, who can blame you? It's how can you resist an opportunity like that to jump in right? and present it was on so uh, tantalizing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so this film opens with a crime scene that is the aftermath of what we're about to watch take place. The cops arrive on some farmland to find a dead body in the front yard, and we are led to believe there's something even more shocking that they find inside the house. And in the opening shot, we get a false 4-3 framing ra- aspect ratio that is actually just barn doors uh, as the camera is looking at the main farmhouse through the partially open doors of a barn, and this is a cool tie-in because there are certain sequences of this film that include shots of the porno film that our main characters are shooting, and those are in the 4-3 aspect ratio, ratio, so it's a bit of foreshadowing and a cool like visual tie-in, um, which I appreciated. Um, we cut to one day prior to these events, and our main character, Maxine, is looking at herself in the mirror of the strip club where she works before she goes on stage. She gives herself uh, some encouraging words in the mirror and snorts some coke. And we soon learn that Maxine's boyfriend is financing a porno film that she's going to act in along with some other friends and acquaintances. And they've rented a guest house on an elderly couple's farm where they plan to shoot the film. Our cast of characters includes RJ, the director who is out to prove himself as an independent filmmaker and is more interested in being a successful director than he is in directing porno specifically. His goal is to make this film a true work of art. Uh, We've also got his girlfriend, Lorraine, played by Jenna Ortega, as the sound woman who's relatively quiet throughout the first act, so much so that Maxine's boyfriend, Wayne, takes to calling her Church Mouse. And we've got Jackson, the male lead in the porno, played by Kid Cudi. And there's Bobby Lynn, played by Brittany Snow, who's also going to be one of the stars of the porno. Ashwin, what did you think of this cast of main characters? 
I I thought they were great, man. Great ensemble. And, like, you have six people, but each of them are, like, so different in terms of, like, they each have, like, different personalities and goals and uh, their own agendas or their own, like, uh, temperaments. So great way to set it up and uh, some great dialogue and conversation between them in in the van and at the gas station and stuff. So I I liked it a lot. What, What did you think? I agree. I thought they were all charming in their own way, and they were played effectively by the their respective actors. Yeah, really like natural chemistry, I feel like, with all of them. For sure, yeah. And this is the year 1979, if I have not mentioned that. Oh, right. Um, there's a very tense moment when they arrive at the farm, and the owner, Howard, pulls a shotgun on Wayne, assuming he's some government worker on his property, but he puts the gun away once Wayne reminds him that they had an agreement that Wayne would rent the farm's guest house from Howard and his elderly wife, Pearl. Jackson comments here about how Howard is one ugly motherfucker, by the way, or ugly son of a bitch, I think he says. Hey, what did you think about like how they, they didn't really show his face uh, very clearly here, right? Like you were kind of seeing it from the back of the old guy's head. You didn't really get a close up on the front of his face here. Yeah, I think maybe that was just to make him a little bit more ominous. Yeah, sure, sure. Makes sense. Build up the suspense. Yeah, right. And like they, uh, yeah, yeah, they build up the suspense because he, he says he's ugly and we only see the back of his head. So maybe it lets your imagination run wild a bit. Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. There's another tense moment shortly after they arrive when Maxine is walking around the property and decides to go skinny dipping in the pond. And not only do we see an elderly woman lurking in the background of some of these shots, but we also see that the pond is home to an alligator that approaches Maxine and nearly attacks her, completely unbeknownst to her, but luckily she manages to get out of the water just in the nick of time. And there's a really cool, like, drone shot overhead that just shows the pond and Maxine, like, floating on her back with this alligator slowly approaching. What did you think of that? Dude, I thought this was an amazing scene. Like, I had no idea what was going to happen here. It just felt like, well, we're, like, so early in this film and we're already about to maybe potentially lose, like, one of our main characters. Or, like, is that old lady going to pop up and do something? This is, like, pretty suspenseful for me. What, What did you think? I thought so, too, man. And there's, like something dangerous on both sides of Maxine. You've got the woman lurking somewhere uh, in the woods uh, like that you don't really see off camera. You don't know where she is. And then you see the alligator coming. So so you're very on edge. And it's all shot beautifully, too. And that that drone shot is just perfect. So it's really cool, really effective. Yeah. I think at, at this point, did they also first, like, do that transition that we see happen a few times where, like, they cut back and forth between two scenes before like jumping into the second one i feel like this is one of the times they first did that yeah yeah it's like when they're cutting from one scene to another they like do it really rapidly back and forth like they go back back and forth to the other it's just really interesting they do a lot of stylized editing which i feel was kind of a callback to some of the filmmaking in in the 1970s like Mm. there's split screen there's um a lot of like wipes wipe transitions yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Feels pretty retro. Yeah. Very retro. And then so, uh, we're getting pretty creeped out by like, except I feel like we've seen that old lady now, like behind a window or like, yeah, in the woods. Like, were you getting pretty creeped out by her presence at all? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, something's up with her. She's just so ominously in all the frames that she's in, like lurking. So, you know, she's meant to be ominous. Uh, you don't know too much about her or, or what kind of ominousness is at hand. Right. Right. Um, Maxine wanders inside the the farmhouse, classic 1970s slasher mistake, and is invited to sit down to lemonade by Pearl. 
um, the elderly lady of the house. And Pearl is commenting on Maxine's beauty, lamenting the loss of her own youth, and kind of makes an advance on Maxine. And I thought it was really cool during this whole scene, we're cross-cutting to the porno that the other characters are shooting back in the guest house, and it's like that 4-3 aspect ratio. And it's kind of like simultaneous, and it's involving Jackson showing up at the house and Bobby Lynn's character like inviting him in for lemonade. And it kind of parallels the seduction that might be happening here, like Bobby Lynn's seducing Jackson's character over lemonade. And that's kind of how Pearl might view what's happening here over lemonade with that Maxine. Yeah. Yeah, that was so creative, man. Those such cool like parallel shots to be going back and forth between Yeah, right. And they're doing like match cutting on like the lemonade being poured and stuff like that. Really cool. And then in both scenes, it's mentioned, like, Bobby Lynn saying, like, oh, we got to do this before, like, Daddy comes home. And similarly, Pearl is like, well, don't tell my husband, like, this will be our little secret. So it's it's really creating a lot of parallels there. And there's, like, the suspense of the porn, not real suspense in the porn, like, uh-oh, like, Dad's going to come home. And then you start to wonder, like, about Howard, like, maybe Howard's the actual menace if they're so worried that, like, he can't find out about this. Yeah, like, is he doing something, like, keeping her hidden or something? Yeah, right. And he had told Wayne, Howard told Wayne in a previous scene that he didn't want his wife Pearl knowing that there were other people staying in the guest house aside from Wayne. So he was like, your discretion is appreciated. Right, right. Do you think uh, this was, like, commenting by, like, just juxtaposing these two sequences, like, what's happening with Pearl um, and then the, the what's happening on like the porno? Are they kind of like showing the reality of like how these sequences really go down, or like how artificial pornos can be, or how is there like an inherent like fear in pornos that's like being uh, mirrored here on the other side? Like the fear of, or maybe like being turned on by the f- by like doing something you're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it like how different. Like uh, I mean, because yeah, that's like the emotion that like both uh, are showing is like we're doing something that we're not supposed to. In in Pearl's case, uh, with um, oh shit, what's what's uh, that uh, girl's name? Maxine. Oh yeah, with Pearl and Maxine, like obviously like we're all like, kind of worried and like scared for her and apprehensive. But we, when you see like that same thing happen on on the porno, like it's a whole different. Uh, approach and mentality around here, right? <laughs> right, yeah, that's interesting. Interesting take. Yeah, I thought it was really clever to put those side by side. Yeah, I agree. Um, Maxine becomes uncomfortable with this interaction with Pearl and excuses herself back to the guest house. Uh, but later on, Pearl creeps out to the guest house and peers through the window to see Maxine having sex with Jackson. Um, they're shooting the film. I don't know if she sees them shooting the movie, but she sees the two of them having sex. And uh, Pearl's clearly turned on she imagines herself in maxine's position having sex with jackson and that night she asks howard her husband if they can have sex but he shuts her down reminding her that his heart can't take it must he's got a heart condition or something Mm -hmm. meanwhile at the farmhouse lorraine rj's girlfriend who's the director his girlfriend um and lorraine is the quote unquote church mouse she has decided, much to RJ's shock, that she wants to be in the movie. And he tries to shut it down, but Lorraine insists, and she ends up shooting a scene with Jackson. That night, RJ is crying to himself in the shower uh, because his girlfriend just decided to have sex with somebody else and decides to leave the farm while everyone else is asleep. 
As he goes to drive the truck out of the driveway, he notices Pearl standing in front of the vehicle, and he gets out to make sure she's okay and try to get her back inside, but she starts groping him and kissing on him, and Mm -hmm. he shuts her down and says, I don't want to see that, kind of hurtfully to her, and she goes ahead and stabs him repeatedly in the neck, (laughs) like over and over again. You see blood like splashing on the headlights, and then the lighting uh, turns to like a shade of red, and she is... uh, dancing in the headlights to this music and i think before the song she's dancing to comes on you hear don't fear the reaper which i believe might be an homage to uh halloween oh yeah sure but it's also a a very timely song for this era and fits into the plot of of this and the themes of this a little bit yeah lorraine and wayne eventually realize that rj is missing and go off looking for him Wayne's looking in the barn for him. He peers through some holes in the barn because he thinks he hears something outside, only to get his eyes stabbed by a pitchfork wielded by Pearl. Meanwhile, Lorraine approaches the house to ask Howard for help, and he asks her to go get a flashlight from the basement so they can go look. And when she's down there, she discovers a dead body from a person they don't know, and then she's locked down there by Howard. I thought there was a really cool match cut here where the motion of Lorraine tugging on a light chain to like turn on the light fixture in the basement is matched to like the pitchfork being pulled out of Wayne's eyes and blood gushing out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was really clever. (laughs) Really cool. And I almost wonder, like not only was it uh, just a cool way to do that and and made uh, for effective cross cutting and... Yeah, like made that gore sink in even more. I think maybe it could even be creating some parallels between Lorraine's character and Pearl's character, which we'll get into in the review. Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Howard then approaches the guest house and asks Jackson for help finding Pearl, who's wandered off, he says. Jackson helps Howard look for her near the pond, and Jackson finds a partially submerged vehicle in the pond, which some say is an homage to the film Psycho. And he is then shot in the chest by Howard with a shotgun. Pearl sneaks into the guest house and climbs into bed with a sleeping Maxine, stroking her skin, and Maxine awakens and lets out a blood-curdling scream that this woman's in bed with her. Um, That wakes up Bobby Lynn, who's sleeping in another room. Bobby Lynn follows Pearl to the dock um, of the pond. She's talking to her like Pearl's got dementia or something, and she's going to help her back in the house. Pearl gets offended by this and smacks Bobby Lynn across the face, calls her a whore for what she's doing in the guest house, and pushes her into the pond where our buddy the alligator is waiting and just immediately eats her up. <laughs> Did you see that coming? <laughs> yes, but, well, yeah, yes and no. Like, I guess once things started to get violent, I saw it coming, or hostile between her and Pearl. Yeah, I figured that, like, Crocodile would have to, like, come back uh, later. Right, like, right. They, they set it up. They got to do something with it. Yeah. And it was cool, too, because the way they shot it, it was with Maxine. It was so suspenseful. You see the alligator coming and coming and coming, and you just got the picture in your mind right. of the alligator chomping on Maxine right next to the dock. Yep. And then that picture in your mind is like, come to come to fruition, but with Bobby Lynn instead. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it feels very earned. It is like a really quick kill, but it just feels like, like you know, almost like it checks the box of your little mental, right. the mental like loop you had in your head that never got closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It connects the final dots. Yeah, yeah. A cool, cool cinematography there. Yep. Um, and editing. 
Maxine ultimately makes it back to their van after having to hide under a guest house bed while Howard and Pearl have sex on it. Um, Pearl's finally convinced Howard to do it with her. Maxine finds RJ's body and sees the keys are missing. So she grabs a pistol from the glove box and enters the farmhouse to find Lorraine trapped in the basement. She lets Lorraine free and Lorraine runs out of the front door screaming in a panic only to be shot immediately by Howard. What did you think of that kill? Man, I, I was disappointed. I really thought Lorraine was going to be one of like the final girls here because they they kind of set her up as like that typical uh, final girl since she wasn't like one of the other uh, actresses, I guess. Right. Um, and so, yeah, this this one really shocked me. Though, but I think the way she was kind of like uh, coming out like in a frenzy and like screaming at Maxine, like he kind of knew like oh shit, like she's she's headed out there, something's going to happen to her. Right. She's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, 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 that was unfortunate, but it kind of broke my heart. But what, what yeah, about and you? it was almost like off screen, so it was kind of just like yeah. real abrupt and brutal and almost like unkind to the character. But I also think it was like really shocking and it kept you on your toes during this slasher where you kind of can predict some elements of any slasher movie. So that was cool, kept me on my toes. Um that's not the first time I've seen him do like a really abrupt surprising kill. There's a scene that I don't want to spoil in House of the Devil that's that this really reminded me of. Oh, sure. Yeah, I don't know. We were just that. like kinda of going along, going along, and it's like, oh shit. Like yeah. things Gun. got real. Yeah. Um not afraid to use guns in horror movies, Ty West is. Right, right. Yeah, it adds kind of like a realistic element, right? It does and makes it really scary to me because guns are scary to me and like that's what's actually killing people. Yeah. And it just really, like, mixes things up, too, and it allows for some, like, long-range kills, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of guns in horror movies. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's scary. Yeah, I mean, I, I know this is like a, well, I guess, like, I've heard the term slasher put to this, but you do have a lot of people being killed with guns. Um, do you think, like, this the slasher still applies? I think so. I think, uh, I think, uh. Well, I'll go ahead and say it. Sorry for the spoiler, but Terrifier kind of broke that rule, and mm. and owned it. Oh, okay, so okay. I think that I think that rule is now officially broken and and meant to be toyed with. And I think there's a little bit of toying with the final girl virginal trope that we talked about in our top five final girls episode. Like you said, Jenna Ortega's character Lorraine was kind of seeming like she might be a final girl, just probably because of our own perceptions of what a final girl typically is, personality wise. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, Howard and Pearl carry Lorraine's body inside while Maxine hides around a corner in the other room. Uh, she overhears them talking about a plan to make it look like the gang was trespassing on their property and that they killed them in self-defense. And while they're lugging Lorraine's body in, Lorraine briefly comes back to life sputtering on her own blood, which shocks Howard and gives him a heart attack. Uh, Pearl is shocked and saddened that Howard is dying and it's like asking Maxine for help. But Maxine emerges holding Pearl at gunpoint and insisting she give her the keys to the van. Pearl does so, and Maxine tries to kill Pearl, but it's revealed that the gun isn't loaded, so Pearl makes for Howard's shotgun, fires it at Maxine. Maxine ducks the bulk of the buckshot, and the kickback from the shotgun sends Pearl sprawling down the front porch steps with a broken hip. This was hilarious, um, wasn't it? It's kind of like funny and sad and cool all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, um, very, Maxine, very, very realistic too. Like that's what would happen, right? If you if uh, someone like who isn't strong enough to like shoot a gun, like that that's that's what you'd expect, right? That kind of like pushback. 
Yeah, I don't know if they'd get blown back that hard, but uh, yeah, I mean, you could you could hurt yourself if you're like a frail person who's never really shot a gun before. Yeah, right, right. Or at least it's been a few years since you had. Sure. Um, so Maxine goes out there, she ref- refuses Pearl's pleas for help, and runs over Pearl with the van, completely crushing her skull, and makes her escape after doing a, a line of blow off her hand in the mirror of the car, and, and then she's off. That was another, next, like, gruesome kill. That, it uh, was. The, the kills were very, like, gruesome, gore-heavy. Didn't sh- The camera didn't shy away from what was happening. Yeah, right, right. Kind of, kind of went a, a little overboard sometimes. Uh, like, uh, yeah, just stayed a little longer on, on the gore than it had to. I disagree because it didn't do it for every kill. Like, Brittany Snow in the water with the alligator, that was just a quick, you know, you saw some blood and then she was gone. Yeah, um, Lorraine got shot real quick. I mean, you do see her coughing up blood, but only for a minute. So I think a couple of the kills, like Pearl's kill and RJ's kill, they really hung on the hung on the uh, the violence. Uh, what about? I, I feel like the pitchfork one too. Like I, I feel like I saw an eye in like one of the pitchforks or, or like on the ground or something. Oh did you, yeah, did you see an eyeball? yeah. You you might be right. There might have been an eyeball. Yeah, I, I mean it was, it was all tasteful, but I, I feel like they were going for like some shock value here with some of the gore. Sure, maybe. Um, the next morning when the cops arrive on the scene, there's an evangelical preacher on the television who we've seen off and on throughout the movie on Howard and Pearl's TV. And this preacher is confessing about how the devil stole his own daughter away from him and he reveals a portrait of his daughter and it is Maxine. So this implies she was raised in a conservative religious upbringing and it's kind of maybe on the run from her family. The cops find RJ's camera with film in it, and when speculating what might be on that film, they say probably something straight out of a fucked up horror movie or something like that. Uh, and that's the end of the film, but there's a post credit scene that is not just a scene, but an entire trailer for a prequel to this film titled Pearl, with Mia Goth playing a young Pearl. Uh, it's her backstory, a prequel to the movie that's already been filmed and will be coming out soon. Maybe it's like slotted for this year on IMDb. I don't know if that'll actually happen. Um, and I didn't realize until I got home that Mia Goth played the old lady Pearl, too. <laughs> I didn't either. I mean, did you get the sense watching it, though, that like Pearl was being played by like a younger actress? I didn't. I did, did not catch on to that. Oh, okay. I, I felt like that part was kind of off. Actually, uh, my friend and I that saw it, we thought both of those characters were being played by younger individuals. But I, yeah, I, I think the, the the older gentleman was actually an older actor, right? He's older, but not super old. He's like young 60s. Okay, yeah. So uh, I'm sure he was in a lot of old age makeup too. Mm, yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah a couple I, other people in our Discord server mentioned that was obvious, but boy, that, that went right over my head. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I know. There are parts where I was like, yeah, if, if that was like an elderly woman like that, that would have been an impressive uh, amount of acting and, and role. That'd, sure. That would be awesome. Yeah. Right, but, right. Yeah, even uh, Mia Goth playing two roles, though, that that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I I wasn't like going to be like, no, that was a, an old, those were old people without any old age makeup. Like, I assume maybe there was some makeup involved, but I didn't think that they were actually like youthful people. Um, what did you think of this movie? 
Uh, you know, I thought it was really well done, like pretty smart. It had a lot to say. It was very stylistic. The acting characters were all great. The pacing was well done. The kills were a lot of fun and, and like kind of gory when you wanted them to be. And then, uh, yeah, I thought there was like kind of a, a great like deeper message here um, about like the idea of like love and like how it ages with time or age in general and like how that uh, can add a reality to something as fictional as like porno. So kind of like just juxtaposing those against each other was really cool. So it's just felt like really original uh, even though like it you know obviously paid tribute to like a lot of movies and in, in a lot of the scenes here or like classic movies but it felt really fresh and original and, and I, th- I thought it was like really well done uh, what about you I agree man I thought it was like f- like it was not totally original in that yeah like this is a slasher and it's harkening back to the 70s so like we've seen a lot of like time period and retro type stuff and Ty West himself has done a retro 80s vibe with the house of the devil yeah but that still felt like very authentic and not like he was just cashing in on like 80s nostalgia right and this movie didn't feel like that either it didn't feel cheap to me it just felt like that's when the movie was set and that that was his choice uh which kind of made sense too with the narrative because the characters were like all hyped up to get in on the ground floor of pornography and like this was the year after debbie does dallas was released yeah. And Deep Third, I think, came out in 1972, which supposedly like blew the whole like pornography market open and, and like made it so that you could actually, I think that was the first porno that had like actual plot and production values. So Oh, okay. <laughs> it it kind of lends some credence to RJ's character being like, we're going to make this like real cinema. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that. That that was so, such a cool time period to pick from that angle because it sounds like uh, VHS, like porno VHS, wasn't like quite a thing yet. And it was just about to take off, and so they were like kind of on the forefront of like pioneering that. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean I think it took off. I don't know what year it really got big, but I think Debbie Does Dallas was big on home video. Sure, yeah, sure, and, and home video was kind of blowing up at this time. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that, that was really cool. And I, I think uh, that that uh, the, the whole like kind of watching them and how they're shooting it and like his passion for making that film felt like a little bit like Ty West, like kind of showing off like his passion for like what he appreciates about filmmaking or uh, the art of filmmaking or like how fun it could be. Right. Yeah. And like they, at one point, all the characters have a toast and everyone says something different. And RJ says like to independent filmmaking. So yeah, <laughs> right. there were definitely some meta moments with RJ. Yeah. Right. There were. And he often, he says something else too, where he's like, uh, I can't remember. He was like, oh, we can gussy up some of this with like flourishes to make people, distract people from low budget or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, and right. Like, but it just felt like meta commentary coming from a, a filmmaker who's done plenty of low budget movies that exactly. look more expensive than they are. Yeah, yeah. That, that's really clever. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you're, you're so right. Like, I mean, I, I feel like that uh, this had like while it was original, it did pay tribute to like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Shining, um, like so many slashers, right? Like it, it right. kind of did that while was telling a fresh story at the same time. Yeah, like there was a scene where Lorraine's reaching through a hole in the door that she had hacked through with a hatchet, and then um, Howard like traumatizes her hand as she's reaching through to grab the doorknob, which was. Uh, very similar to a scene that happened in The Shining. I think even the cover of the movie is almost like an homage to the the butt shot from Texas Chainsaw Massacre where the camera's like on the ground looking up at the house and the main character's butt. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't remember <laughs> if that was Sa- Sally's butt or somebody else's butt. But yeah, it's, 
it borrows visually and theme or plot wise from from a few horror movies. But I feel like it's all like organic to the the movie. It's not forced. Like yeah, I know we've been bitching about like fan. Um, what do you call that again? Not fan fiction. No, <laughs> no fan... fan service. Oh, okay, yeah, right. These didn't feel as much like fan service to me. It's just because they were like so seamlessly woven in, and like you could have kind of missed them. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think what makes it really organic and, and grounded is, is the characters, and uh, they just like I, I don't feel like we've seen this level of like characters in other films that are like in the slasher category. I agree. I really liked all the characters. I thought the acting was solid. Um, yeah. Yeah, the story, like the themes about like aging and stuff, like you said. I really feel like this movie was deeper. Like it was a fun like popcorn slasher, but I think it had a lot of deeper themes too. Like. Mm-hmm. I feel like the movie was kind of trying to hold on to trying to hold on to youth, trying to hold on to something that isn't truly yours, whether that be like a girlfriend, your looks, your youth, a dream of a life that you feel you deserve. Right. Like and it's about not being able to let go of that and move on. Like Pearl yeah. is in pain over the loss of her youth. Exactly. Um and she's like it's like trying to capture something in a bottle that isn't yours to keep. Like Exactly. That's like And fleeting. I think a lot of that is coded in the speech that Wayne gives to RJ. I don't know if you remember that. Like RJ is oh. so stressed about Lorraine wanting to be in the movie. Yeah, right. Outside um, of, outside of the cabin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wayne, by the way, is like a forty two year old man who's left his wife for Maxine, who's presumably much younger, so that kind of fits the theme too. Um and RJ, like, wants to hold on to this, like, sexual sanctity he has between him and Lorraine and to always have this, like, young and beautiful woman devoted to him and only him. And Wayne's kind of like, trust me, man, like, you've got this, like, if you say no, she's gone. Like, your only option is to, like, say yes if you want to keep, like, this thing that you've got going. Right, right. Uh, and I had to wonder if that was kind of paralleled in Howard and how he'll do all this violence that may possibly, we'll probably learn more in the prequel, be essentially like on Pearl's behalf. Hmm. Like, yeah. you know, maybe we'll find out he's a villain in his own too, but oh, he gives like a big love-filled speech to her on the bed in the guest house while Maxine's under the bed. And the song that Chelsea Wolfe does, the Wee oui, Wee oui, Marie it's kind of about this guy who meets a woman uh, right after World War One, which is like Howard and Pearl went through World, World War One together, and they talked about that. Um, so he meets this girl, and they say she's like naughty and wild and like loves to dance and play. And this guy knew well enough to say, we, oui, we, oui, Marie. Like, he knew well enough to just say yes to her. So I felt like maybe that was kind of paralleled in Wayne's speech to RJ, like you got to just say yes, and maybe Howard's behavior on behalf of Lorraine, like or uh, Pearl, like, well, I love this woman; she's everything to me. Like, I got to go along with this. Right, right, yeah, I got to say, wee wee. Yeah, uh, I got to say, wee wee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I, that, that's really interesting parallel between them and, and like that mentality of, uh, yeah, you're just, you're just there to support them. So you think maybe Howard did all this just for Pearl? Yeah, maybe. Like, yeah. she had, it was kind of like a story about maybe like sexual, I don't know if you'd call it repression with Pearl, but like she's got these sexual urges 
she can't have sex with the man she wants to because of his heart. So she's trying to like have sex on or spy on younger people and like keep them as playthings. And Howard's like doing that for her since she he like can't satisfy her himself or just because she seems to like have murderous urges either way. But yeah, um, yeah. And I feel like I wonder if that like repression of her sexual urges or like unsatisfied sexual urges is kind of echoed in Maxine's super religious upbringing uh, that we find out towards the end of the film. And now here she is like as a stripper and as an aspiring porn star. Right. Um, So I don't know if those two things parallel each other. I think it's interesting to think about like feelings like sexually unfulfilled either from a strict upbringing or from like old age or health or lack of libido from a partner, et cetera. Right. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's like that. Uh, I, I think you're right. Uh, that, that's definitely there. More broadly, the the sense of being unfulfilled is kind of what, uh, like a, a theme maybe where, uh, yeah, you're right. Like for Pearl, it's like yeah, she wasn't being sexually fulfilled, or like that passion wasn't being filled. And then you have that for Maxine, where she feels like her destiny isn't being fulfilled, and like she's meant for something more. Um, so it's that idea that like you deserve something more that like there's something out there that's for you or that that fulfillment you're trying to reach and like the lens will go to get that potentially yeah for sure and maxine's like i've got like more in my future and and pearl is like i should have had more in my past like because she talks about how like the war changed everything yep and like she used to be so young and beautiful and a great dancer and stuff yeah right exactly um did you get a sense that uh, Maxine and Pearl are like the same character just at like different times? Like, is Pearl like what Maxine is scared of becoming? And Pearl is just like a Maxine that has like uh, all, all the fears that Maxine has that she's not going to get what she deserves is like the summation of turning into like a Pearl? Yeah. Yeah. Like everything that she was hoping for when she was Maxine never came to fruition and she's bitter about it. Like, she looks at Maxine and desires her life uh but she's also like seemingly sexually attracted to her and she um is jealous and angry um and I think it almost mirrors Lorraine a little bit too because Lorraine and Pearl both kind of seem morally above the whole like uh you know whoring it up is probably what Pearl would call (laughs) it and like doing this porno yeah but they also like wanted they they're jealous of it. They want to have that freedom. Um, yeah. And I think some people who saw this movie were surprised and didn't buy into Lorraine wanting it to be in the movie. Yeah. But I think that serves the theme. I think it serves the parallel, like, Pearl's simultaneously looking down on it and being jealous of, like, the sexual freedom. Right. And I think it fits that theme of, like, trying to hold on to youth and beauty and and losing it and, like having to say yes to your partner because you don't want to lose their youth and beauty that you kind of like quote unquote own you know you don't sure. I mean, that i'm not saying a man owns a woman but i think some men feel like that in in a relationship like oh i've got this young like amazing beautiful thing i've got mm-hmm. to like not fuck it up yeah yeah um, sure so yeah i i think that lorraine had to say she wanted to be in the movie so that we could see rj mm-hmm. experience that emotion of like him him losing youth and beauty like yeah and the sanctity of that relationship yeah which ultimately leads him to his demise right yeah no that that makes a lot of sense 
And then I got to wondering on the religion suppression theme, too, if maybe like the X in the title, like I think it means X like X-rated movie. Oh, yeah. X because they call Maxine an X factor at one point. Right. But maybe this is a stretch, but I also wondered if it could be like thought of as a cross. Cause like, as a cross, yeah. You see the church mouse Lorraine take her crucifix off before having sex. Um mm before she's like about to be in the film. So Good I think yep. religiousness could have kind of been like lurking in the uh, in the themes. And the sacrament um, and maybe even House of the Devil had some religious themes too. So it, it's not unusual for Ty West to touch upon that. Right, yeah. I, you know, I, I, was in, I was kind of underwhelmed with that reveal at the end uh, that she was that guy's daughter that we were seeing on the screen. I'm not sure if that did anything for the plot uh, or added any like additional layers to her character. Did, did you feel like that was needed? You know, I think it I think it works because I does I do think it ties to the like sexual kind of repression or frustration theme. Like if you want to presume she was in such a conservative household that that kind of stuff was frowned upon and she just couldn't access that side of herself. Yeah. Um and that's like what's led her here. Yeah, and I also just like the idea of her being a little bit like outlaw on the run because she doesn't like wait around for the cops. Like she gets out of there. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't want anyone to know who she is. Right, right. And so I kind of like that they lean into her. Like I'm on my own. I'm on the road. I'm gonna find a way to succeed no matter what. Without like with or without my family's help. So sure. I kind of liked it. Yeah, like a runaway star kind of feeling. I could see how someone would perceive that as forced, though. Sure, sure. Um. Yeah. Uh, what else? Oh, the X. Uh, the other thing with the X, um, Gen X, that, that wouldn't apply here, right? Like, we're, that would come way later than these guys, right? Well, let's see. The movie took place in 1979. They were presumably born, born maybe about like 20 years earlier, 1959. They would have been baby boomers. Oh, okay, okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, I think you're right then. Yeah, religion uh, potentially in the in obviously the the film that they're making uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I like that idea too. We talked about is like Pearl, Pearl like being Maxine. Like I, she's essentially like the femme fatale character who's aged. Like that's that's her life now. Like so, it's cool to see that side of it, and I'm excited to see the prequel. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, that that'll be really interesting. Like, do you, any expectations on on what that's going to be? I don't have. Any, I feel like it's going to be a, like even more bonkers based on the trailer. But uh, I, I'll try not to have many expectations. I, I, all I expect <laughs> is to learn more about Pearl and Howard. Oh man, you accidentally saw a trailer for. I, right, it just screwed <laughs> me over. But I was so shocked and surprised and like pleased and excited that I was okay with it. Yeah, cool, and it was cool. like happening so fast, and I was like, "Wait, what? What? What is this?" I know, I know. It was yeah, it wasn't clear right away, but <laughs> so I won't watch it again, to, so I don't spoil anything. But I was excited to be seeing that. Yeah, yeah, that was a really cool way to wrap up the film, like kind of talk about, like yeah, plug a prequel right after. Right, right. That's neat. Um, hey, one thing in the premise that that I feel like I've heard mentioned that you mentioned, uh, where it's implied that Howard and Pearl kill them because of uh, them, uh, it has something to do with like them shooting a porno. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think they were going to kill them anyway, right? I think so too. I think like the goal may have been like, hey, like we've got some young people on our property. Let's like keep some of them as playthings. 
And if we're going to do that, we got to kill the rest of them. Because, like, oh. that's why Lorraine's in the basement instead of being killed all the way. Like, Oh, sure. She was a brunette, and he knows she doesn't like blondes. But she's like, no, I've got my eyes on, like, another one of them. On Maxine, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Yep. Yeah, and Very she doesn't kill Maxine when she has the chance. She climbs into bed with her instead. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that was such a creepy scene. <laughs> it um, was creepy. And Do you then, think this movie played on, like, the naked old people are creepy and uncomfortable, like, trope we've seen in movies uh, the past few years? Yeah, maybe went a little too far, I think, in, in like, uh, I don't know, I feel like it really went far in, like, showing them having sex and uh, trying to, like, gross out the audience with that. Uh, what, what did you think? I I had mixed feelings about it because, like, yeah, it, it is kind of, like, worn and maybe, like, a rude, impolite theme. Yeah. Um. And it makes you feel, like, uncomfortable, but it also makes you feel like... I feel like it was done well here because you feel more guilty being uncomfortable about it because you know their backstory, like, you know the passion, and it's about... It's not just like, oh, there's a naked old person in the background, that should be gross and scary, but it's like... Yeah. They're real characters with sexual urges and a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought they were humanized enough, even as the horrible villains they were, that I kind of was welcoming, embracing, like, okay, here's naked old people having sex, but it's not just to make you uncomfortable, like, yeah. naked old people have sex. But but the fact that, like, uh, both of them are, like, heavily uh, made up, right? There's a lot of makeup on them, so I kind of make them look older, a little bit more grosser, I think, right? Yeah, but um, I feel like in a way that's kind, because you're not like, hey, look at this actual real person of this age, and aren't you grossed out by them? Oh yeah. Well, so I I, I think uh, if if it had done that, like if it was a more natural one, then I would, out to your point, we're like, oh, this is humanized, and this is like two elderly people uh, making love, and like, yeah, you're not gonna like, you're obviously, like, hopefully, you're not gonna like judge that, right? But in this one, when they're like kind of taking these two villains that we they've already kind of made like look pretty scary, uh, having sex, you don't think that's like kind of uh, is it like playing on a trope of like making old people look gross? Right, is that like objectifying it even more and like exploiting yeah. that even more? Maybe. Right. I think of it as when like uh, was it Chris Columbus who directed Home Alone? I th- um, oh, or was I it um no, it was that other dude? What's his name? Joe Dante. Jo- John Hughes. I think it's oh, John, John Hughes. Hughes. Yeah, yeah. You're people right. are going to be mad at me for getting this wrong, but they cast Buzz's girlfriend. Like that photo of Buzz's girlfriend is actually a little boy. <laughs> oh, no! Because <laughs> they didn't want like Kevin going. Buzz is your girlfriend. Woof to like an actual girl. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so it reminded um, me of that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I, I I struggled with that in this movie, but I, I think that's probably the point, right? Is like, why is it okay to watch like these young people have sex on film? Uh, but then, like, when you're seeing these older people getting together, uh, feeling uncomfortable about it, like, that, that's that shouldn't be the way, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, it forces you to, like, make that parallel. Right, totally. So what did you think of, like, the production and the cinematography and everything? Oh, I, I thought that was all, like, really well done. I was, I was surprised. It had a very, like, old quality uh, feel to it. Um, but I, I, I think I was reading, and uh, it was, like, uh, I, I don't think they used, like, an old t- type of film or anything. Uh, just because it would have been too hard to kind of get that gear around, uh, yeah. so I thought they they did a great job of like kind of capturing the vibe and feel with like the lighting and, and the film uh, of of like that era of a of a film. What what did you think? I do too. I thought like it had like a gritty uh, feel and that like mostly like well lit sun soaked Texas feel throughout like the daytime scenes and everything, and it just really harkened back to film from that time period. Um, 
I loved the cinematography and how they kind of paralleled some of the movie film within a film with what was actually happening, like we talked about. I love the like seventies throwback editing, like the wipes and the split screens and stuff. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, everything about that crocodile kill was just like done so well. Like everything done here really served the movie. Um I really liked the score too. Score was so great, yeah. So it was like, largely like, just like vocal oohs and ahs that kind of like mirrored the sounds of like of a porno. either sex from the porno or like yeah. sexual longing from Pearl's character. Yeah. Yep. It was like ominous and fragile and and like yeah, weird. Weirdly yeah. sexy at the same time. <laughs> sure. And then, and then you have like 70s like hits kind of interspersed in there. What, yeah. what did you think of uh that scene where they performed landslide? Oh, right, right. Yeah, some people said that was like kind of on the nose, but uh, I liked it. I think it really drove it home, drove Pearl's humanity home. Like she was looking in the mirror, like doing her hair or, or something like while that song was being sung, right? And it's totally reasonable mm-hmm. in that time period that someone would like whip out a guitar and play that song. And play that song, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I thought that was like such a great song and, and really touching scene, the way that was shot. It was right. really well done. Yeah, um, song did you about f- aging, kind of. Did you find it hard to believe, though, that, like, two fairly, like, elderly individuals, like, took down a group of, like, six young adults? I Yeah, I mean, I don't really ask myself questions like that much. Okay. I just don't want to. <laughs> All right, sure. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe. Um, let's think about the kills. I mean, Pearl pushes her into the water. That's feasible. She wasn't expecting to be pushed by this woman. No. Uh, pitchfork through the eyes. Pitchfork's pretty sharp. You could do that. Okay. Uh, shotgun. You can pull a shotgun. The knife is, yeah, I, I believe it. You believe it. All right. And then uh, the predictive- hardest part to believe is probably them carrying Lorraine's dead body. Oh, sure. Uh, what about the predictability? Like, that, one of the flaws I had was I felt like with the, each scene, um, like that first one where she kills uh, the guy in front of the van, um, you know, like she's got something behind her back, right? Like, it's pretty obvious. Like something's about to happen. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and even like the pitchfork, like you know, like he's gonna look through there, and like something's gonna stab him. Um, when she's like standing uh, on on the dock at the lake, you kind of get the sense, yeah, she's like something's gonna happen here. Did did you feel like there was a predictability to the kills at all? Yeah, there was, but I thought that it was suspenseful. Like, I think you predictability and suspense can kind of go hand in hand. Like. Somebody mm-hmm. walks into a dark room after they hear a noise. Like, it's predictable that they shouldn't go in there and something's awry and things might go south for them, but that's kind of how you build suspense. Yeah, yeah, sure. Maybe they don't always have to go hand in hand, but I thought it worked well because you had multiple scenes with, like, exposed limbs or, like, the exposed eyes. You know, she, he peers out the holes. She reaches yeah. her hand out of the uh, door, hole in the door that she's hacked through. Like, yeah. Yeah, you know what's going to happen, but you still get the time where you're like, oh, this is happening, and I know what's about to happen, and you get a little tense. Sure, yeah, and you're just on edge waiting for that to yeah. happen, yeah. Yep. So maybe a little bit predictable, sure. But, uh, sure. Um, yeah, I kind of liked it. it. It made it more suspenseful for me. Yeah. And, and then going back to the, the trailer comment, I, I think maybe that's where uh, I might have... Uh, 
this this kind of watered it down for me is like yeah in the trailer you know that they're gonna show up here and these old people are gonna like murder them and stuff and that's like in the premise as well uh so part of me the whole time was wondering well like yeah what's gonna be like the extra thing that's gonna come in here that we don't know and uh i didn't feel like it there were like any big surprises at the end uh did you feel like there was something here that happened like at the end that like kind of uh took it beyond like what you were expecting or did you not like expect what you what, what we saw anyway no, I don't necessarily think there was like an X factor. Nothing was super like, whoa, that that came out of left field. Like, oh, this is a twist. Um, but I kind of like that. Like, we've been talking about all the like meta-ness of, of the Scream franchise. And uh, I just have been appreciating movies lately that are more straightforward. Like, this is a slasher movie and I'm leaning into that. I don't need an ace up my sleeve. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. It it, it does that uh, really well. Yeah. I think. I think after seeing like Scream and there's someone inside your house, uh, you kind of like, and uh, yeah, the other films too. Like you, you kind of expect like some kind of big reveal at the end, but it's it's kind of cool for a movie to just kind of uh, play more directly to the genre. Dude, you got that title right right out of the gate this time. There's someone oh. inside your house. <laughs> yeah. Damn. You finally got there. What? One for three. <laughs> and you had to get there eventually. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so do you think that watching the trailer made you enjoy this movie less? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got me. But, but you're gonna do it again, aren't you? I'm gonna do it again. Yeah, uh, just because like I feel like that's like that, that's how it's supposed to be. But yeah, it totally would have been. But I don't know. Like I was really excited, and it's nice like going to a movie feeling like hyped. But I know we've been like let down pretty consistently for like the last few films. But I, I was glad this time. I, I didn't feel too let down. All right. Well, on that note, uh, zero to five Kid Cudi dong swinging in the evening breeze. What do you give this movie? <laughs> you think that was actually his dong? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I give it four and a half, man. I, I think this is like an amazing film, probably the best film we've seen this year. Really smart, clever, fun, well-produced, well-acted. Um, but yeah, the, the, the one uh, part for me, I think, is uh, yeah, a little bit more suspense on like or on something more unknown. Uh, I, I think I was just kind of geared to like be looking for some big kind of surprise or shock at the end. Um, but other, otherwise, I thought it was really good. What about you? Cool. I give it the same, man. You and I are too in sync lately. But yeah, four and a half yeah. for me as well. Nice. I had nice. a ton of fun. Uh, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, this was the first time I went and saw a, the- a movie in the theater with a friend who was not my wife in like... <laughs> Since The Invisible Man. So, what, two years? Oh, shit, yeah. Longer. Oh, yeah, yeah, two years, yeah. Yeah. So that added to the fun for me, but I just also just really loved the movie. It was fun in the theater. The more I thought about the themes and how all the characters kind of parallel each other and about the loss of beauty and youth and what you hoped your life could be, like, mm-hmm. almost every character had that in their right. um, in their character arc somehow. Yeah. Um. I thought it was really cool, and I the 70s totally makes sense to sync up with that, like, booming video industry, the booming pornography industry, mm-hmm. and it just, like, felt right, the, the look of the film and everything. Um, I loved the soundtrack. I loved the score. I loved almost everything about it. My half star, I think, I took away because I actually didn't really like the meta moments. Like, I could tell RJ was kind of a stand-in for Ty West, 
And then there's the like king of meta moments at the end when the cops find the video and they're like, it's probably some fucked up horror movie on here. <laughs> like this was a funny movie like throughout, like mostly like the dialogue between the characters and stuff. But that meta stuff just felt a little off tone to me, especially that last line. Um, I just I, I think I would have liked the tone of the movie had they had they stayed away from that kind of stuff. Just because I thought it was such an authentic '70s throwback that uh, it took me a little out of it when they were making like modern meta commentary. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. That took me by surprise. I appreciated that character because uh, it's cool to see someone passionate about like filmmaking and like helps you kind of appreciate like what you're watching. Sure. A little bit. Yeah. But yeah, but, and yeah. Ty West even said like I thought it might make help people appreciate like the experiences I've gone through on some of my movies. And, um, right. Right. Yeah. Yes, as, as which it does, but uh, I just yeah, I didn't I didn't love it. But anyway, I loved everything else about the movie. That was just the reason I'm probably not at a five. But yeah, this is the horror movie to beat for this year to me so far. I know, I know, a great one, right? Like early in the year. That's awesome. Yeah, very very psyched about about seeing it. I've been thinking about it a lot ever since I came out, and I've been listening to that that song "Wee oui, Wee oui, Marie" way too much. <laughs> Dude, I'm gonna check that song out. That sounds great. It's really cool. It's like ominous, and it's just like six minutes long, but it's cool. Okay. And cool. Uh, full disclosure, even though I said like "Wee oui, Wee oui, Marie," saying like "Yes, I'll do whatever you say" to uh, to your love interest in the song, it's framed of like that's the only French he knows how to say. Like he knew enough to say "Wee oui, Wee oui, Marie," but clearly there's subtext in the song about him like doing whatever it takes to to be with her. Sure. Okay. Cool. I'll check that out. Yeah. Boy, I really feel the need to clear the air on everything, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> you never also, know, guys, right? one time when I was six, I stole a candy bar from a convenience <laughs> store. What else you got? <laughs> never told anybody until now. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I farted in fifth grade and blamed it on the kid next to me. <laughs> oh, man. This is like, there's someone inside your house, a secret party. <laughs> right, yeah, all the secrets. Yeah. <laughs> Got a ton of them. Uh, yeah. Anything else, buddy, before we wrap up? Uh, no, that's all I got. Cool. Alrighty, well, that has been our episode on X. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, feel free to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That helps other people find our show. You can connect with us at Horror Movie club.com we've got a social links drop down with links to our twitter and facebook and on either of those social media outlets we tell you what movie we'll be covering a week in advance of the episode there's also a link on that social links drop down for discord which is where we're talking with friends fans of the show movie fans and just like hanging out talking horror movies and uh, a whole bunch of other random uh off kilter humor off kilter humor boy i'm tired and um, let's see. Also, all of our podcast episodes are pretty neatly laid out on our podcast tab of the HorrorMovieClub.com website. If you're ever looking for an episode, it might be easier to look there rather than your podcast player. Uh, you can email us, podcast at HorrorMovieClub.com. You can get Horror Movie Club coasters if you go to Etsy.com and then search Horror Movie Club coaster set. And we'll take you to some coasters designed by our friend Amy from Amy May Pop Art. If you don't want those, she's got so much other cool horror pop art on her Etsy shop. And I think that's it. We've got a Patreon page. That's uh, a link to that's on horrormovieclub.com as well. You can go there and gain access to a bunch of bonus content for a buck a month. 
And until next time, if you're going to shoot a porno, make sure you shoot it somewhere where the landowner knows exactly what's going on, and maybe don't invite your significant other to be the sound person. <laughs> Just cherish your monopoly on their youthful beauty while you can. Sure. <laughs> Otherwise, that's going to get awkward. <laughs>